Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all our heroes in public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. This show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its Soundness Initiative. This episode is also sponsored by the POCUA, a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. Always remember, if you aren't banking with a POCUA credit union, you're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals, and you deserve better. Hi, I'm Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and I have a great episode today, one that I've been looking forward to, uh, one that'll take us on a little bit of a different angle. I have the illustrious host, Heather Ashley, from the podcast Big Mad True Crime, who is not only an awesome interview, but just as important is a law enforcement family member, twice actually, <laughs> which we'll get into. So Heather, so glad to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> you sound very excited, especially for a Monday morning. <laughs> Mondays are my busy days. <laughs> Tell me about it. Tell me about it. So as I mentioned in, in our little intro, you, you grew up in a law enforcement family, and I just found out that, that your father has been in law enforcement for over three decades. So again, thank him for his service. You know, what was it like growing up in a law enforcement family in, in that environment? For me, it was normal. You know, it was cool, but it was normal. I, you know, as somebody who was married to a cop and you have all these worries for your children, being a child that grew up in a law enforcement family, I don't have any of those memories of shift work being weird or us being scared for our safety. I mean, I was the girl who had the cool dad on career day and I got to ride in a police car and I got to hang out with cops and, and eat candy at the police station. <laughs> you know, I got told all these really cool stories all the time. And so for me, it was really awesome. You know, you, you think about, you know, what, what would it be like to be the kid of cop? And you think like, oh, they're never going to see their dad or mom, or, you know, they're not going to be there for holidays. But I just don't remember any of that being an yeah. issue. Yeah, I, I hear that from uh, a lot of folks that come from law enforcement families at the, the different shifts and missing holidays and so forth. It, it was nice that you didn't have that. You you just had the cool stories. <laughs> I, I remember. Now, being a, a wife of a retired law enforcement officer, um, this, did the dynamic, did you see the dynamic change at all through the years and through the decades? Because I would assume, you know, just from being an outsider, I've, I'm not a police officer. I've had the privilege to work with a number of them, but looking as an outsider, it seems as though life in the eighties, nineties, and even maybe in the early two thousands as a law enforcement family has changed quite a bit in the last five to 10 years. Is that accurate or am I just completely nuts? <laughs> there are definitely a lot more rules. Um, and, you know, I think my perspectives are totally different. Um, being the child of a police officer and being the wife of a police officer are totally different ends yeah. of the spectrum. So I don't know that 
you know, I had the best idea of, you know, whether it changed, but I know when my role changed, everything was different. So, you know, being, being a child of a police officer is, you know, simple and exciting and so cool and fast paced. And you have these crazy stories all the time. There's always something to talk about. And then being the wife of a police officer, you're worried or you're listening to the radio traffic instead of a podcast or you're getting news notifications before your husband can call you and you're trying to get in touch with them. And so it's a different aspect and there's definitely more worry and concern being the wife of a police officer than being the child of a police officer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point. I never really thought about the, the difference in that. Um, you know, one of the other things that I hear from a lot of people in law enforcement and their families is, uh, is, is that yeah, every, every social function seems to be surrounded by police officers. It's like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to the picnic today and it's all of mom or dad's co-workers and their families you know hey we're going to a party today and it's all you know, uh fellow fellow cops and, and their friends yeah it has is that how you grew up coupled with is that is that becoming more of uh a reality now with some of the unfortunate what i'll say anti-police sentiment that we have out there so You know, there is this family that comes with being a police officer. You work in the same shift. So it's harder to have friends that have normal nine to fives because you can't socialize on their time. They kind of have to socialize on yours. So by default, you wind up hanging out with people who have the same shift as your spouse or you. Uh, And I mean, it is almost always cops. And then I tell people that no one learned my name until my husband left the department. And until then, I was just her husband's a cop. (laughs) Oh, come meet her. Her husband's a cop. And it was like, I feel like I'm pretty cool, too. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah, I I actually do some stuff, but that's okay. (laughs) He's accomplished. It's fine. (laughs) <laughs> you you find you find yourself going yeah i'm heather <laughs> i'm so loud and out there and you know very deeply myself that it's interesting that it just i don't hold a candle to a room full of cops <laughs> they're always going to to take over the room yeah, yeah, having having run the police officers credit union conference for nearly two decades, um, that first opening reception <laughs> is is always a lot of fun and a lot of interest and very interesting. Uh, you kind of tell you know who is working just specifically for the credit union and who is a retired police officer by where they stand in conjunction to the wall and, <laughs> and the doors. <laughs> Everyone facing the door was once law enforcement. <laughs> I had I had one where I I want I want to say that two at least two of the walls were all glass, and I remember thinking walking into the reception beforehand to set up like all right this is gonna be rough because we got window 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 door window window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Anyhow, of entry. Yes, yes. Anyhow, be that as it may, let, let's actually talk about Heather. <laughs> um, you know, is uh, to uh, to all the audience. Uh, I I truly uh, and very highly recommend that you grab a, a copy of Podcast Magazine for September. Uh, because we were able to do a great feature on Heather's podcast, Big Mad True Crime, um, which is a, a very, very solid show. And, and in that particular interview for that article uh, you mentioned, and this is the number one thing that stuck with me, is, you know, I didn't grow up with fairy tales. You know, you didn't grow up, my words, in this Pollyannish type of, of existence. You know, you, you didn't grow up with 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 stories about princesses and peas. <laughs> you grew up with, with stories from your father on the police force. And I have to ask, was that the primary motivation for you to start a uh, big mad true crime? I think my whole life kind of led up to this, you know, for normal people, they watch Disney movies. And of course I did too, but you know, I wasn't being read bedtime stories about Mother Goose or anything. My dad was telling me about the calls he went on that day, like how he chased somebody through the park or how his partner fell into the lake and (laughs) how he busted somebody for drugs and how he surprised them. And then as I got older, the stories got a little darker. He definitely edited them for Mm -hmm. my age. And now that I'm an adult, I wish he would stop sometimes. Um, (laughs) But because that was my normal, you know, instead of pass the salt, it was like, did you hear about the homicide? And (laughs) and so my interest became crime very early on. And just, you know, my dad talking about interview tactics and arrests he's made and all this stuff. So my way of thinking was always super analytical. And God bless my husband because I remember everything and I'm putting two and three and seven together. I'm cross-referencing and I'm just, everything I look at, I'm like, okay, well, let's see, is this true? And the more I got into it, I, you know, I watched Investigation Discovery and all those documentaries. And I would always, as I got older, I started to research the cases more. I would see a case that I got really into on TV and I'd want to research it more. And I'd realize there's so much more about this case that isn't on TV. And so I started posting about them on Instagram and like stories and it caught on and, and I don't do it for any other reason other than I felt like doing it, you know, and (laughs) it caught on and people were like, you should do the podcast. And I was researching the Chris Watts case, which is almost 2000 pages of discovery. And as I was reading that, I was like, holy crap, this case is so widely covered, but so mildly covered. There's just so much more. And so I think the driving force was just being into this crime stuff that's everywhere and then realizing there's so much more to these people's stories that I feel like people need to know and maybe it's because I felt like I needed to know this I had a million aha moments I just wanted to share these aha moments with people um so yeah you know people were into it and I was like all right let's do this podcast and I just started with Chris Watts and people started sending me requests and now I have over 600 case requests and don't plan on stomping anytime soon. (laughs) And if you got 600 case requests some of those cases are like 
5,000 pages. That could be like eight episodes in and of itself. So you, so oh, you're man. good to go until about 2030 here, even, even if there wasn't any new crime in the next decade. <laughs> I, mean, I did a case where I couldn't find anything online but um her the victim's brother's fiance was just really a warrior for this girl trying to get justice and it wound up being a four-part case because she had so much information she could give me she had so many documents so even these tiny cases that seem like there's not much to them there's always so much more it's like an iceberg we're like oh that looks like it might hurt my ship and then like underneath it it's like the whole earth <laughs> there's just so much more that is to all of these cases if you can just dig deep enough yeah. and you know the better your reputation gets more people are trusting to send you their case files now a word from our sponsor the police officers credit union association the pocua can suggest a credit union that serves public safety professionals in practically every state in the country one state we definitely have covered is tennessee Knoxville Law Enforcement Federal Credit Union serves all first responders in Knox County, Tennessee. The credit union has been proud to be serving members for over 60 years and invite you to see if you're eligible to join their family. For more information about Knoxville Law Enforcement FCU, go to klefcu.com or call 865-522-3900. To find an institution to serve you outside of Knox County, Tennessee, or in any of the other 49 states, go to policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't banking with a POCUA credit union, you're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals, and you deserve better. Yeah, it's given given my my work with law enforcement and my work in the true crime category for Podcast Magazine. Obviously, it seems like all of my free time is either watching Dateline or <laughs> or listening to a podcast while I'm walking. I'm too old to run anymore. My chiropractor forbid me from running, but I still walk. <laughs> I listen to these podcasts. And it's interesting, in, in fact, and I used to watch Snap, but Snap is like so easy. It's like, you know, you know who killed the person like five seconds in. It's like this, yeah. this isn't even fun. You know, this, this mm-hmm. criminal was so stupid. <laughs> I, I want to watch, I want to watch Dateline where somebody was like really, really clever. Like they were smart enough to leave their cell phone at home and uh-huh. not get pinged at the crime scene. You know, all right, now that's clever. <laughs> But that, but somebody would actually say that's also premeditation too. <laughs> that's really good when you're wor- when you're working on the prosecution. You turned your phone off for two hours while Heather Sacone was dying <laughs> in a stranger's driveway. Tell me why, for the first time in your life, your phone was off, buddy. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, we we found your phone with the battery out and. <laughs> But but in listening and watching a lot of this true crime, one of the things that I found, uh, and there was a case not too long ago, I can't remember what it was. If we really needed to, I can go back to Dateline and I can find out what it was. Uh, but it was interesting because they, they kind of hit a, they hit a brick wall 
and they took the one detective off the off the case and put a completely new detective on it that was unfamiliar with it that had to go from scratch and much like you and your Chris Watts had to read every page had to look at every video and had to and had to look at it but look at it with new eyes and a new mind and I think that you know in business I definitely agree with that in terms of trying to solve problems that's that's got to be true in law enforcement as well is getting a new set of eyes on, a, on an old case and that's why I think podcasts are so great because you know you have these people who will throw shade and be like all these armchair detectives and blah 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 but what you have is you know there are people who are police officers and there are people who are not. I've had plenty of departments be like, we have an academy starting, you should sign up. And like, in no way am I ever going to be a cop. Um, But there are people who they're born good at things that have to do with law enforcement. Like my sister's an artist and she was born seeing light differently. And that's why she's good at what she does. So there are people who would be fantastic police officers, detectives, whatever, that just choose not to be. And you have these people who are still interested in crime and they wanna be involved, but that's not a career path they want, especially in our times. So podcasts give this voice to these cases that are unsolved, that people can listen to it and look at the documents, look at what's presented, and you have 15,000 new eyes on this case in one week. And that's fantastic. And I mean, there are great websites like WebSleuths, where it's just a bunch of people who really love deep diving into crime where they all work together and try to make sense of something. And I think it's a great asset to law enforcement in general that you have all these people working for you for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, some departments, when you call and you're like, Hey, I have a true crime podcast. It's like, okay. Um, and then other departments are like, oh my gosh, thank you for sending this to me. I'm so excited. And I've gotten a lot of tips for cases because people don't want to go to law enforcement and I'm fine with their anonymity mm-hmm. and I'll submit the tip to law enforcement and, or I'll work with the family or whatever, vet it, look into it, submit it. And because of that, you get new leads. And so, you know, people want to be involved in the case. They want to be involved in the podcast. When you allow them to do that, people start talking. And it's been amazing to see, especially with the Egypt Covington case, how many people have reached out to me and been like, hey, I heard the gunshot too. Hey, um, you might want to look into this guy. Hey, somebody was um, drunk and they said this. And it's phenomenal. And I feel like, you know, the times changing comes with a lot of stress and technology can be a real asshole. But yeah. <laughs> I think in this case, technology gives such an edge to law enforcement if they yeah. use it correctly. Yeah, yeah, there's so many great points and it, it's, it segues into um, a question that, uh, that I had for you, which, um, which you saw, um, is, I've hearing this term more and more of citizen detective. Yeah, when it, when it comes to the term or phrase citizen detective, and I think that 
where that phrase has really come a little bit more mainstream is just recently with the HBO documentary, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, about the Golden State Killer um, and how you, know, you had uh, Michelle McNamara and you had podcasters and you had also law enforcement all looking at, at different aspects of that case and working legitimately as a team to to eventually solve it um watching watching that documentary and listening to the companion podcast which both i thought were excellent um gave me personally a lot of pride that i covered the true crime category for for podcast magazine and even before that yeah, I've said in the magazine and other forums that it's not just entertainment. Um, that yes, you know, many times you listen to it or you watch a documentary that's in the true crime category as entertainment, but there's there's a necessary function to this, even if it's just simply keeping some of these old cases in the eyes of of the public that, you know, hey, you know, this may have been twenty years ago, but you know guys, this hasn't been solved yet. And we've got technology that we didn't have then. We've got people that may have seen something that didn't come out for one reason or another uh, with what they saw. Yeah, and I think that that in and of itself is a very, very key role for, for true crime podcasters. So going back to this citizen detective concept or role, yeah, do you what do you think of that term and do you feel that you fall into that category why or, or why not i mean i am a citizen and i like to do detective work so none of the term offends me um mm -hmm. i think a lot of people i think it can be used both ways some people just discredit people because they're not in law enforcement or because they're not a pi um and but it doesn't matter. You're good at what you're good at. Yeah. And I would encourage anybody who's good at investigative work to do something with it. And you have a ton of options. You can be a cop. You can work up to detective. You can do federal stuff. You can work in loss prevention. You can have a podcast. You can listen to podcasts and just care that way. But caring is what makes a difference because uh, I'll talk about the Egypt case because I work on that case like six hours a day. Um, her case was almost getting no coverage. And it's crazy now how many people know about the case. And it just takes one person sharing it to another person who shares it to another person. And then you get a hundred citizen detectives who make up a citizen police department who are all willing to do whatever it takes to get justice like sure you know there aren't protocols like there are in a police department so it can get a little hairy every now and then you know but you sift through the good and the bad and you get somewhere with it and having extra people working on getting justice for all these victims can never be a negative thing yeah yeah, I, I completely agree. Do you, do you find that given your your family's law enforcement background, whether it be your father, your husband, or a combination thereof, that when you reach out to law enforcement that you have a little bit more um, clout? Or do you not even use that? You just... Oh, no, no, no. I never <laughs> use that card. I have my own card. Um, yeah. 
Generally, so I always tell, uh, especially my victims' families, when you're going to call police, the police department, I always kind of walk them through what to say because they need to understand that you know what you're talking about. And once they know that you know what they're talking about, they're more on their P's and Q's to make sure that they're following protocol and allowing you your rights to whatever documents, information, um, and stuff like that. I've run into both uh, positive and negative when reaching out to police departments. I've had some who just automatically assume I'm stupid, don't know my rights, and I have to give them a nice talking to. Um, and most of the time they regret it and uh, let them know that they're incorrect. And the next time somebody calls for this, that, or the other, this is what they need to say. Um, And then, you know, I have really good working relationships with a lot of departments around the country and one specifically, and I won't name them, but um, I've worked with them for a couple of cases and they're phenomenal and they are so open to everything and uh, just discussing different aspects of cases and stuff that I call them sometimes when I need like a second opinion on something, especially like an autopsy that was done within their state and something seems off or a grand jury's being held and I just kind of want to know the protocol. And so there are departments that I can still call today about cases that don't even involve them Mm -hmm. that they're willing to be like, yeah, let's talk about it. And then sometimes you get people who are like, oh, well, um, I'm not answering that question. That, that didn't happen. And I'm like, I'm literally looking at the case report, buddy. Just pull out the file. And uh, like, I'm looking at her autopsy. I'm not making this up. (laughs) What would that get me? And uh, there have been some times where I'm like, look, you either have to admit that you're a weenie or you have to admit that you're a liar. And if you admit that you're a liar, you can fix it. And, and you know, I never get to that point unless somebody talks down to me as if they're above me or I'm stupid because I have done all my research before I ever call anybody. And uh, I had one officer and a bunch of this department have like been in jail um, for their poor police work. So this is no shade to normal departments. Right, to real police officers. (laughs) Very small department. And, uh, he was like, you know, I have to go. I'm getting another call. I'm like, dude, your call logs are public information and are updated per call. You get like three a day. And the last one was like four hours ago. And it was a traffic stop in front of an apartment complex. You have to make up better lies if you want to get off the phone. Just be like, you know what? I'm intimidated. I'm not answering these questions. I don't know what I'm talking about. I got to go. As I would respect that. You just confirmed to me, you're a liar. <laughs> Here's hoping that I'm never on the wrong side of a conversation with you. Oh my gosh, my listeners call it going full Heather. <laughs> it's all—it's only reserved for people that are worth going full Heather. Most people aren't important enough to go full Heather. But if you're impeding an investigation, then I'll go full Heather. <laughs> well, yeah. What's as you were as you were speaking. Um, and I was trying not to laugh out loud just simply because of the recording. Uh, but I've, I've obviously found it immensely entertaining, but I was thinking also, um, you know, obviously I don't have the, I don't have the background with law enforcement that you and your family have. 
Uh, but I found that 80 to 90 percent of people in law enforcement that I've come across um, are very good hearted. They want to do the right thing. Um, they're very sharp. If they're not very sharp, you know, they're, they're not doing things intentionally wrong. You know, I, I, I think that's fair. But every once in a while, you know, you come across one, you know, just like, you know, society, there are bad nurses, there are bad teachers, there are bad cops, unfortunately. Yeah, you just come across one, it's like, oh, you know, really? And I was actually listening to a case um, from a podcast that uh, I'm going to cover in a, in a few different, um, in, a f in a couple of issues ahead of Podcast Magazine. And I won't mention, like you, uh, this isn't the, the purpose isn't to disparage a police department, but just to give an example. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's it's a it's a state police force, and they completely bungled a case. And you've got a podcaster, you've you've got a you've got a um, you've got another individual that isn't in law enforcement, but is researching the case, and they have they 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 have another perspective. And they talk to the state police and they're like, well, we're not going to talk to a civilian. You know, we, we don't, we don't, we don't need, you know, it, and then they, and then they got ticked and they offered to, um, to have them work with a group of law enforcement from Quantico. And they're like, yeah, we're aware of them. And it's like, you know, really, especially in this time where all law enforcement should be hanging together with their brothers and sisters. And especially those civilians that support you and want to be a part of what you're doing and make sure that not only cases are solved, but that you're coming home from your shift in one piece to your family. You know, you're, go you're going to alienate those people, really? <laughs> At least that's what I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, and so... I come from a place where people request cases. So just like police officers are responding to people's worst days all day long, I'm getting requests for cases that people don't feel right about. And so I'm going to run into that WTF moment with the police yeah. department more frequently than other people are. But, you know, I've also done cases where I'm blown away that like the national guard was called in by this podunk police department because they knew they didn't have the resources and they called for help immediately three hours later there's helicopters in the air and i'm just blown away at how badly these people just want justice they just want answers and that's what police work should be it's just yeah. working together to get to the bottom of this to get justice for the victim and to keep the rest of the community safe and it doesn't matter if it's your department or you called for state police's help or you had to use federal testing whatever you know do whatever you have to do mm -hmm. to get the job done i mean you're all part of the same team yeah, ex exactly. And, you know, I find, at least from my limited exposure, is that some of these cases that either don't get solved the way they should or are clunky in the way that they're handled is more a reflection on the lack of resources that law enforcement may have than the abilities of the people actually working the case. At least that's been my perspective. I don't know if that, that's yours as well. I've seen a lot of it boil down to poor scene work. Because mm -hmm. uh, if poor scene work is done, your whole prosecution is just 
crapped on. And so, you know, in the academy, just really training those patrol officers will make such a huge, huge difference when it comes to the prosecution. Mm-hmm. I would say that probably the biggest stumbling block is probably pride when it comes to investigators. Yeah. And, you know, not wanting to feel like they need help or not wanting to be embarrassed. And, you know, I've seen amazing officers offer to take a case and be like, hey, why don't you let me look at it and then be told like, no, don't touch it. Don't look at it. It's mine or not call in state police and stuff. And it's just like, why, why are you doing this? None of this is about you. And that's not to say that that's the, the norm. That's when talking about when it goes south that's usually where I see it go south yeah yeah and and fortunately from uh my perspective uh limited perspective of what I'm seeing is that um those folks that cover true crime that have been vetted that actually do have their facts straight for the most part um are seen as a as a good alliance rather than a nuisance um, in law enforcement, especially in this time. And I, I think that that's, that's awesome. Um, but you know, getting back to, to this time, this unfortunate time um, where there is some anti-cop sentiment um, and frankly, you know, some of it, unfortunately in Minneapolis, in my opinion, warranted um, in other areas, definitely not warranted. Um, yeah, how does that uh, affect a professional, you know, like yourself that's surrounded by law enforcement or whole life, whether, you know, as a child, as, as a spouse, and now also as in, in your professional career, how does that affect you? You know, I see both sides because I investigate cases that go both ways. Um, you know, I see the asset that law enforcement is and people who are willing to risk their job to do the right thing, to risk their life to do the right thing. And then I also see people blatantly disregarded and their justice just squashed because of things that have nothing to do with the victim. And so I see both sides because I know there are phenomenal police officers out there. Um, I also know that my husband left the department because of bad cops. And so, um, you know, he tried his best to make it right. And he tried his best to train officers to be good officers. I think when it comes down to it, you just have to view police officers as human beings. You know, are you a good human being? And just take it one at a time. And I wouldn't say, you know, all cops are bad, all cops are good, because when it comes down to it, it's what kind of human being are you? Yeah. And what kind of human being is working on my case? And I hope you have a good human being because those ones are knocked down, drag out, will stop at nothing, will eat, sleep, and drink your case. And then there are people who, you know, this probably isn't the career for them, but right. they picked it. And, you know probably going to be in it for a while yeah yeah good good points heather yeah i i truly believe and this is just my opinion as as an outsider that in you know all this talk about defund police 
Um, I, I think that more funding should go towards police, but in different areas, such as training, such as uh, psychological assessments, such as um, uh, education, such as wellness, and things of that nature, so that you, know, you can to your to your words you could find out what kind of human being at least within the first couple of years you're really dealing with here and especially for those good people with character that may have a skill issue or a psychological issue you know let's let's have the resources to help that individual so that we don't have a situation out on the street it's just a conversation and and help within the department. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's the change that needs to happen. Yeah. I've always thought, you know, police university would be a good idea. Yeah. Um, and I'll kind of explain, uh, if every state had police university and it was funded and regulated across the board. So every County uh, would have the same regulations. So you're not wondering if it's okay to choke hold here, but it's not okay to right. choke here. You know, is it okay to do this here? Is it okay to do that here? Because that's where like, when you go into the court process of some of these places, you're going to run into a, to an issue because you're like, oh, well, they shouldn't have been choke holding him. And that's, you know, where we are, you know, you, you can't do that, but where they are, you might be able to. And so you go into court and you're like, well, why did they do that? That's against the law or that's against protocol or their training, but you have to look at their training. You have to look through their training, you know, packets and everything and figure out what they were trained on because you don't know because it's different for every department. But if it wasn't different for every department, it would be a lot easier to say, yes, this was correct no, this was not correct. It wouldn't be this like million shades of gray where people are upset. Everybody could kind of have the same yardstick of judging the actions. Yeah. Yeah. And every, and every incident is different too. There's a big difference from somebody being handcuffed and incapacitated on the ground and you're doing something to somebody's neck and somebody who is not incapacitated is very strong and is going for an officer's weapon. That officer has a, has a right to go home to his family or her family. Um, yeah. And bluntly, if a chokehold is going to save his or her life uh, from a criminal, you know, so be it. Um, anyhow, be that as it may, before I end up going down uh, one of my infamous rabbit holes on my shows, um, I, I know you have a lot of crimes to cover. Uh, so I really, really appreciate you taking a lot of time with me this morning, um, having a great conversation. And the last question that I have for you is for those folks out there that would love to sample Big Mad True Crime, how best can they find your show? Well, if you have an iPhone, the easiest way is Apple Podcasts. Most other people use Spotify. It's on Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Really, if you just Google Big Mad True Crime, it's going to pop up. And you can you're listen however it. you want. <laughs> what if you're on Breaker? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I, I believe it's one of the uh, uh, smaller podcast <laughs> platforms out there. Uh, <laughs> but 
yes, I I personally use Stitcher and I have no problem finding Big Mad True Crime because I do not have an iPhone. I am a Samsung guy. Um, (laughs) Samsung, I need a royalty for mentioning you on my podcast. Um, (laughs) But thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the time you took today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you to all of you that have either watched or listened to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we will be back with you in about a week with another awesome guest. Take care. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.